Today, we continue to look at the portion of Scripture where Jesus tells his disciples the kind of person that is worth congratulating. Right? Remember that last week we talked about that word blessed. Blessed is this and blessed is that. And so that word blessed means someone who is really happy. Someone who is really happy, who, have, who has reason to be eternally happy. And we have Robert Lawson, who's visiting us from the academy. We like to. In full uniform. Robert, hey, can you stand up for us, Robert? It's great to see you. Robert always had the best smile in the city, but with that uniform, it's even greater. Look at that. Yeah. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. <laughs> so uh, we, we're talking about blessed, being blessed, and what Jesus meant is someone who's really happy, who has reason to be eternally happy, and someone who you should congratulate. The people that you should congratulate in life, remember that Jesus was changing the worldview of the disciples. He was wanting them to really value the things that were valuable to the eyes of the Father. And he basically is saying, this is the kind of character that I want to mold in you, the kind of character that I want to shape in you, the kind of character that I want to see in you. So last week we talked about being poor in spirit, and we said that what that means to be poor in spirit is to have a constant awareness of our desperate need of God. I need God, and i got to learn to depend on God. The reality is, is that our sin makes us fiercely independent. But we have to remember through our prayer and through our devotion every day to come before God and say, God, today I do not depend on my strength. I didn't get saved by your power so that I can depend on my strength. Teach me to depend on you. So being poor in spirit is someone who lives aware of their dependence of God. And, and they, the Bible says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're here today and you recognize that there's a need in you for the kingdom, that you need the Savior, that you long for him, that you want to see his fruit in your life. The Bible says the kingdom of God is yours right now. And why is that? Because God is not going to send an ambassador to represent his kingdom without authority. I want to repeat that. God is not going to send out an ambassador to represent his kingdom without authority. You have authority. And that, so the Lord wants you to know that. And that authority is the righteousness that you have in Jesus, the joy that he gives, the peace that you have that changes the world around you. That's the kind of trouble that Chris is talking about earlier that we're supposed to cause. We live in darkness and in the place where there is no peace. But when we go and we do the work of the Lord, when we smile, when we love Jesus and we love others, we cause trouble to the agenda of darkness. Amen? So again, those who are poor in spirit, they are those who have the kingdom of God. Then the Bible says, Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And we said that mourning is being distressed to the point of crying and to the point of weeping. And so why does God want us to be people who know how to mourn? Why does God say congratulate the mourner? Because in, in Scripture, what God, Jesus is trying to teach us is that when we mourn over the sin sickness in our lives and the sin sickness that is destroying our world, and we take our mourning to God, he's going to comfort us. He's going to make us whole. He's going to make us holy. He's going to change our world. And I said to you that it is impossible to intercede unless we let the Father give us a heart that mourns. There's not much that will be accomplished in prayer if you're not mourning over the condition of your life and the condition of the people that surround you. There has to be this. uh, David Wilkerson would say, anguish. 
an anguish of the soul. He would say nothing gets accomplished without anguish that says something has to change. And it's that mourning that's comforted. We also said that it's important. There's a lot of people who mourn, but they mourn in the wrong way, right? And that means a pity party. They're looking for people to comfort them, but people will never comfort you. Not a pastor, not a ministry. Nothing will be able to comfort you, only God. So mourning is valuable when we take it to the one who can do something about it. So today as we move forward, we're going to look at the other Beatitudes. The scriptures read this way, in verse 5 on down, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would declare your word to us, that you would, Father God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you, Lord, and we want to be exactly who you want us to be. Make us, mold us, lead us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus wants us to be meek. Jesus wants you and I to be meek. I want you to repeat, that. I want you to repeat after me. I, I want to be meek for the Lord. That's the truth. I want to be meek for the Lord. And what does it mean to be meek? Some of your Bibles translated appropriately gentle. To be meek is to be a person who is gentle, a person who is humble, a person who is considerate, someone who is not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Is that inside anyone? Somebody's, ooh, I see, mm-hmm, that's so-and-so, and that's so-and-so, and that's, mm, I need to send that to somebody right now. I'm going to Instagram it, right? <laughs> no, but listen, gentle, humble, to be considerate, not being overly impressed by a sense of oneself and impor- of importance, of one's self-importance. And this is so valuable. God wants you and I to be gentle, to be humble, to be considerate of others, and not to be so impressed with ourselves. That's so true. No matter where we're at in life. You want to know why that's true? Because God's called us to be servant leaders. It is servant leadership that God's called us to. And he says to his disciples, you see what I do to you, I serve you. I don't lord over you like the pagans do. But instead I serve you. And in the same way, I intend you to serve others. We cannot be good servants if we're not meek. We cannot change the world if we're not meek. Now, Followers of Jesus are people who are gentle. And I think we need to understand that there is a difference between being gentle and being fragile. It's a big difference between being gentle and being fragile. To be gentle means to handle with care. To be fragile means easily wounded or broken or offended. The, disciples of Jesus is, the disciple of Jesus is called to be meek or to be gentle because God wants us to handle the reality of the kingdom with care. God wants us to handle the reality of people's brokenness with care. God wants us to handle people's worldview and difference of opinions with care. God wants us to care, our, uh, care for our brothers and sisters and be considerate of them even when we disagree. Being a gentleman used to be an awesome thing back in the days. 
And what, what is the primary thing that defines someone as a gentleman? Someone who is considerate about the way they carried themselves in order to not be offensive to other, others. And someone who was considerate of others, figuring out how to make a way for others to succeed. Right? I don't know about you if you've experienced this lately, but I have. I, you know, thought it was a great thing. I still do. I still open the door for my wife whenever we go on dates. And man, I expect you to open the door for your wife. Amen. I will get up in your case if you don't. I better never see your wife open the door for you. Okay, now I feel better. <laughs> All right, so, you know, so, you know, I, uh, I, I opened the door at the YMCA, and literally the person was like, <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Okay. You know, it's almost as if we're devaluing being considerate of others. I open the door for ladies. I open the door for kids. I open the door for men. Because I am called to make a way for others to succeed. Right? That is, that is what it means. In every area of my life, when I'm even, whether I'm at the Y or whether I'm, you know what I mean, at Facet Junior High, wherever I'm at, my job is to help others succeed. That's the way of the kingdom. And it requires someone to be meek in order for that to happen. Gentleness is not the absence of strength. Gentleness is restraining our strength in order to use it in the way that God intended us to. Those who are gentle don't use their strength to run over people. They use their strength to make way for others. Those who are gentle don't use their power to oppress others. They use their strength to deliver the oppressed. Those who are gentle don't use their words to show superiority. They speak life in order to build others up. Those who are gentle don't use their words to break or to crush people. They use their influence to empower others to succeed. Being meek. Being meek doesn't mean lack of strength. Again, it's using our strength the way that God intended us to. Being meek doesn't mean that we don't fight the right fight or that we don't fight for anything. God is looking for a people who are willing to fight. Anybody with me? There are many things worth fighting for. And we need to understand that being meek doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to be okay with putting up with things that are not righteous. I want to speak to all of you who are in school right now. If in your school you see somebody being bullied, you have a responsibility before God to stand up. Even, even if they don't live a lifestyle that you agree with. Even if their identity or what they're becoming is something that you know it's not biblical. You have a responsibility before God to not allow anyone to be bullied. Amen. Even if it costs you something. In social media, we have a responsibility to not allow people to be bullied. Are you with me? We have a responsibility to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Being meek doesn't mean that we don't talk about hot topics either. We have to talk about some issues. I know that you hope that the church can live in this bubble that doesn't talk about politics and doesn't talk about sexual identity and doesn't talk about all these different things, but we have to talk about it because we have the truth. 
Our job is not to avoid those topics. Our job is to talk about those things with gentleness and in a winsome manner. The Bible teaches us that we're supposed to speak the truth in such a way that we would win people over who are presently prisoners of the kingdom of darkness. So therefore, I got to handle my job with great care because there are people who are blinded. My job is not to slap them. My job is not to crush them. My job is not to humiliate them. My job is to win them. And it's a huge difference. There's a lot of people that I listen to in the political realm. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of the subtitles to the videos I just completely disagree with. Watch this person crush this person. Oh, this one annihilated this one. We're not called to annihilate or crush anyone. That's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is talk the truth. Speak the truth. Don't compromise it. But understand that you have a person that you have to have reverence for even when you disagree with them. And you can actually be their friends even when you disagree. Even when you disagree. We got to learn to honor each other and be honorable to each other. And learn to fight the right fight. Being meek doesn't mean that we don't engage in government. It means that we engage in government honoring God and our opponents even in disagreement. Being meek means putting away entitlement. At the same time, it means a selflessness that leads you to defend truth and righteousness. Being meek is the difference of an attitude that says, it's my right. I don't do this because it's my right. Can't nobody tell me to do nothing because I'm going to do this. It's not the way of the kingdom. Nonetheless, praise the Lord. We have rights worthy of defending. Are you with me? In America, we have rights worthy of defending. But even that, we defend with the right spirit. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? There's a right spirit in which God calls us to fight, and that's what it means to be meek. What does the Bible say? That being meek will, those who are meek will inherit the earth. If we, learn up to, if we learn to stand up the right way, God will not allow us to be on the short end of the stick. You see, the problem is we think if we walk this way, if we're meek, if we're winsome, if we show grace, if we continue to talk the truth with grace and with kindness, that, you know, we're going to be defeated because we're living in a, in a ruthless world. Not, not at all. You can't be defeated. All you do is win. Can I get a witness? All you do is win because God's given you the kingdom already. The Bible says that the earth belongs to the meek. It's yours. God has already deposited it in your spiritual bank account. You don't have to worry about what you're going to gain or what you're going to lose. It's already yours. God has promised it. So all we have to do is stand in our position with the right attitude, honoring humble, right? Not considering ourselves greater than we are serving others. And no, God's got my bank account. God's got it. He's the one that gives me the victory. This world is so sick over fighting for power. And the church is no different. This world is so sick over fighting for power. And the religious world is no different. We see it in history, right? But the capital church, the church of Jesus Christ, and we know that he's, his is the power and the glory and the honor forever. Can we praise him at this moment? Can we thank him? So we can be meek. What, 
what are we going to do fighting with Scrappy-Doo? Anybody remember Scooby-Doo? Yes. You remember that little doggy? It's like he's always, it's like, dude. <laughs> You're not scaring a blade of grass. And in the same way, the church has to have this attitude. God is in control. Scrappy-Doo can't do nothing to the throne of God. It ain't, nothing's going to happen here. God is in control. The meek will inherit the earth. You walk according to God's way, you will win because he's already declared it. Jesus also wants us to hunger and to thirst for righteousness' sake. Repeat after me. I want to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I'm already hungry, Pastor. What are you talking about? For righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake, what does it mean to be righteous? It means to be right before God. It means to be right before God, to be in right standing with God. Sin takes away our righteousness, okay? Sin takes away righteousness. This is why Adam and Eve hid from God because they were not in right standing with God. The moment they ate of the fruit, they recognized we are not right with God. The only appropriate response is to hide if you're not going to confess, right? Confession is better. So, Anybody agree with me? Amen. There was a hiding, right? This is why in Psalm 2, David says, the kings of the world, they conspire and they say, let us throw the chains off, right? Let us throw away God's moral law, God's moral truth, and do our own thing. Why? Because they're pushing away the truth of God's word. This is why John 3, 19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What is it saying there? Righteousness hurts those who love darkness. Therefore, they run from the light just like darkness disappears the moment you turn on a light. This is why Romans 1 says that people, instead of glorifying God, that we find that people, instead of honoring God, they choose to what? Suppress the truth. Suppress. It's not that it's not evident. The truth is there. It's that they're trying to push it down. Righteousness, again, is to be in right standing with God. And yet every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous outside of Jesus Christ. None of us. And so when the Bible says, bless it, man, you know who you should congratulate? Congratulate Mo because he, he is thirsty and hungry for right standing with me. Congratulate people that you see that way because he is hungry and thirsty to be in right standing with me. You know, maybe, I don't know everyone's story here, but you and I both know that we don't really know hunger and thirst in America, right? Right? We, we, you know, the kind of hunger and thirst that the world knows is something that hasn't hit our land, right? Not even, now, we know that there are still pockets. There are places where there's some serious hunger. I'm not trying to belittle the, that reality. But, you know, the kind of hunger that drives people in different regions. I read a book called Kisses from Katie. She said that in the region where she was serving, there was no food. And in order to pacify babies, mothers were given the babies alcohol in order for them to not feel the pain of hunger. Can you imagine that? Nations that have turned, Israel even, has turned to cannibalism in its history because of hunger. Hunger does 
crazy, disastrous things. And the Bible says, Jesus says, that's hunger. Okay, now, now that we have a picture of hunger and being thirsty, he says, blessed, you're worth congratulating when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you get that desperate to be in right standing with God, when you get that desperate to see the world be in right standing with God, you're blessed. You want to know why? Because only that kind of hunger and thirst brings you to action. Only that kind of hunger and thirst brings you to take steps towards what God desires for our lives. This is the only thing. So God is saying, you need to have hunger and you need to be thirsty for righteousness in your life and in your world. Why? Because unless you have that hunger, unless you have that thirst, you're never going to move forward in the direction that God intends you to move in. You understand that today? So I want you to ask yourself, is there sin in your life that you're comfortable with? I want you to just ask this of yourself. Is there sin in your life that you're comfortable with? Is there compromise that you see that you're continuing to battle with over and over again? That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> He's like, not me. I want you to just think about that reality for a moment. Because more than likely, can I say this and can I say this humbly and I'm preaching to myself too. If there's something in my life that's not lining up to God's word and I'm okay with it, I'm not hungry and thirsty enough for God. You say that? Well, God just made me that way. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. That's a sinful nature, Jack. That got nothing to do with Jesus. That's not big Jesus. Nope, that's not big Jesus. Let's not blame him. <laughs> right? Let's not blame him for your pessimism. Let's not blame him for this attitude. Let's not blame him for your gossip. Let's not blame him for this. Let's not blame him for you watching that. And nothing to do with Jesus. So maybe if there's areas of compromises in our lives, may I suggest to you, we're not hungry and thirsty enough for change. I went to the doctor, this was about five, six years ago. And the doctor said, well, your blood levels, are, everything looks good. Your cholesterol looks good. Your sugars look good. We'd like to put you on Lipitor. I was like, okay. Okay, did you say everything looked good? She said, yeah. I said, but you want me to put me on Lipitor? She said, yeah, for prevention. My mind's like, who wants to go to Hawaii right now on my health? <laughs> you know, why are you offering me Lipitor if everything looks good? I said, why aren't you? I wanted to say, you know, why aren't you offering me Honey Nut Cheerios or something to lower cholesterol for prevention? Why are you putting me on Lipitor? You know, I was like, what's wrong with this world? Well, that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> but can I say this? It woke me up. If they want to put me on Lipitor, I would have been on Lipitor now for five or six years for no reason. I want you to just, you know, I was about 230 pounds and it didn't look good on me. You know, some of y'all, you know, you got the 28 inch pythons like Hulk Hogan. Mine weren't pythons, it was more muffin. And I said, it woke me up. I said, this is the life that awaits me if I don't make changes. It's the same thing in the spirit. We keep dabbling in pornography. We keep dabbling in the wrong relationships. We keep messing with our finances. What future? Where will that lead? There has to be something in you that says, no, nah, this is not going to be my future. 
hungry and thirsty for righteousness' sake. Hunger is a powerful motivator. May your hunger be for righteousness this morning. We're going to close with this. Jesus wants you and I to be merciful. He wants us to be merciful. Repeat after me. I want to be merciful. I'm going to close with this. I want to be merciful. Jesus is merciful to you. If we look at the definition of mercy, we go to the next slide there. It's undeserved forgiveness and favor from God. Come on. I'm ready to go. Anybody excited? Anybody here glad that you received undeserved forgiveness and favor from God? We can probably, if I sat you down and said, write on a piece of paper all the different ways that you receive God's undeserved favor and his forgiveness. We can have a praise service right now, right? I really, mercy is God's undeserved forgiveness and favor that, that, that we receive. And it's undeserved. Jesus is merciful to you and I because he forgives us and shows us favor that we don't deserve. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're not only called to celebrate that we received this good favor and this forgiveness, we're called to give it. We're called to extend it. So before we even think of a person or any situation, we got to say, God, teach me to receive fully your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your favor, to celebrate it. Now teach me also to walk it out just like you, without hindrance, without limitation. I want to forgive like you. I want to show favor like you. I want to serve like you. Teach me, Lord, to be like you. The cool thing about that, the thing about that is it, it sounds great in theory until you meet the joker that offends you, right? But this is what being merciful is about. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you do this, you're going to become sons of God? No, it means that doing that reflects that you are. If you really have a relationship with the Father, if you really have a relationship with the Father, he will reveal in you, he will put in you a desire to love even your enemies. And it can be very transformative. There are people here in this room who have experienced transformative power of God's love for their enemies. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a, that's a tough one. Right? But if we consider perfect in his context, he's not saying you can't be perfect like God. Let me just clue you in. You can't be perfect. But here's the deal. You can live that perfection out in this way. The mercy that I receive that I do not deserve in my brokenness, I'm going to allow that mercy to flow from me to those who don't deserve it. And in that way, I am being perfected. I am, I am in perfect flow of God's grace and restoring power. Be perfect as I am perfect. That's what it is.
as I am a conduit of grace and mercy, you, as I am the fountain of grace and mercy, you be a conduit of my grace and mercy. And as we connect that way, you're perfect in me. Isn't that a good word? Now, let me just read the scripture, and we'll, again, we're closing here with this last point of merciful. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Here's Peter with his self-righteous talks. How many times, Lord? Seven? And we know that in the Jewish mind, seven wasn't just seven times. We're seeing, you know, it was like a number of completion, you know? A number of justifications. So whatever that meant, he says seven times. He's trying to put a number out there that's beyond anything that anybody in this culture would have accepted, right? And then Jesus said, <laughs> I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, you, you, you want to add a number to the amount of forgiveness. And I'm telling you, don't add a number. I'm telling you, just live it out. Amen. Just live it out. No, you don't even got time to think about how many times because that's not what I'm asking you to focus on, on how many times you forgive. Just live it. Just do it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. This is an amount that there is no way on earth this man could ever pay. Ever. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Some would say a third of a year's wage. A third of a year's wage compared to a debt that could never be paid in an entire lifetime, or his children working, or his wife working, okay? But here's a third. But how many of y'all think that if somebody stole a third of your wages for the year would be a significant hit? Anybody think, you know, you have a hard time not having visions of drop-kicking somebody? It's a big deal. But when the same servant went out and found someone that owed him a uh, hundred denarii and seized him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their masters all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me pause here and talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You can never forgive and forget. God can do that, but you ain't God. Some offenses that you go through in life, they're, just not, they're not things that you're going to forget. But you, forgiveness is being healed. And there's a difference between being healed and forgetting. I prefer being healed, not forgetting. Let me tell you why. Because as a counselor, I've counseled with people who have forgotten things that have happened in their past, but they still arrest them. And they're still in bondage to those things. And sometimes, through counseling, things then come up 
and they realize, wow, that's a hurt and a stronghold and a wound that I need to deal with. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to forget. You want healing. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness, is, it, it, forgiveness does bring about healing. Let me just say this. Some would say, well, God will never forgive me if I don't forgive first. That's a lie, too. You were forgiven first. Then God showed you where you had unforgiveness, and he's leading you to forgive. That makes sense? God in his grace forgave you. You're a God. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Oh, my goodness. I just feel so light. I just feel so free. I just feel so good. I just feel so saved. I just feel so filled. I just feel so loved. And God says, yes, great. Okay, now let's deal with your unforgiveness here. Oh, God, I was feeling great. Why would you bring that up? God first forgives. Then he leads us. And forgiving someone from our heart doesn't mean that we allow people to come back in our lives to offend us again. It's a big difference. There are some people that you need to... Anybody remember in kindergarten? I have a bubble. You can't cross this bubble. This bubble keeps me safe. There are people who don't, don't understand boundaries. And you and I will be making a mistake to bring people close into our lives who will continue to offend us over and over again. Forgiving is saying, God, I release them from the debt that they owe me. I release them, but I'm going to make sure to have discernment and not allow people to come into my life who will cause that wound again. Right? If you have to have a conversation about forgiveness, forgiveness is much deeper than something that we can settle in five minutes. So I want to let you know that I make myself available. I would love to talk to you about this deal because I believe that you need to hear it and you need to apply it because it is, you're the one that's captive by reserving unforgiveness. You and I are the ones that hurt when we don't forgive. You and I are the ones that are wounded. So I pray that you would take me up on that if you need to talk about that. Again, as we close, you can stand with me. Mark eleven twenty five, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Colossians chapter three, twelve through thirteen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Not a suggestion. Must forgive. And James 2, 12 through 13. So speak and so act. Live your life, in other words, as someone who's going to be judged by the freedom of the kingdom of God. Someone who's going to be judged by the law of freedom, of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the person who shows no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, it hit me one day as I'm reading that scripture. There's a, there's a rock, paper, scissors principle in the kingdom of God. And if you throw your judgment card and I throw my mercy card, mercy is greater than judgment. And so this is where I had some issues. And so people have issues with God and understanding him in the Bible. It's like, you know, how can he be a righteous God or how can he be a good God? You know, you see the judgment, you see the mercy. It just seems like he's all over the map. What's the deal? Is he a God that judges? Is he a God that shows mercy? He's a God that does both. He both judges, he shows justice, and he shows mercy. But there are principles to the kingdom of God. 
And to those who turn to him, his mercy triumphs over his judgment. This is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take our judgment so that we can receive mercy. Jesus is the mercy of God that triumphed over God's judgment, right? It's powerful, right? Because he took the full blow of God's judgment, of God's justice, so that you and I can be redeemed. And this hit me. If I make up my mind to be a person who shows mercy, God's promise says that he will show me mercy. And I'm really aware of the fact that I need some mercy. I need mercy every day. I know it's hard to believe, but I need mercy every day. Don't laugh too hard. But I do. Mercy triumphs over judgment today. Father, we love your character. It is you who's merciful. It is you. You are the epitome of meekness and gentle. It is you who thirst and hunger for righteousness' sake. It is you. And you want us to be just like you. And we say yes to your character in us. We say yes to your character in us. Thank you for your word. We receive it today. We're going to pray right now, even as we're praying. You're here today. We're just going to have a simple altar call, and you're saying, I want to say yes to the character of God in me. I know I've heard some things today. I realize my character is not lining up, but today I say, Lord, I want to have your character. If that's you, would you come to the altar? Maybe you just need prayer. You want somebody to partner with you in prayer uh, over that area, and we would love to do that because we believe that where two or three are gathered in his name, where there's agreement in Jesus' name, that there's power. So I would love to take the time to pray for you. You're saying, I want God's character to be formed in me. Why not meet a brother or a sister in Christ so that you can pray together in agreement and see what the Holy Spirit will do? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm not necessarily at this point wanting anyone to pray for me, but I need to practice this forgiveness. I'm having, I'm having, I have to turn to God, my unforgiveness. Maybe you're here today and you say you just need to spend some time here with the Lord. We'd love to welcome you to the altars. We'd love to welcome you here. God can lead you. Listen, I was, I'm human and I've been alive long enough to tell you, you know this, I've been offended and I've been wounded very deeply. And I can testify today, there is a God who heals. You don't have to be defined by the hurts of the past, by the wounds of the past. There's a God who heals. If you need to spend time with God or if you like prayer, we'd love to welcome you to come up. We'd love to pray with you. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for your church. I bless your church. May your church be poor in spirit. May your church mourn and comforted, be comforted by you. May your church be meek, merciful, and hungry and thirsty for righteousness' sake. Lord, thank you for working your character in us. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a great, have a great day. The altars are open if you need prayer. Amen.